baby up front here, Willow, right? Yeah, she's passed out in the presence, surrendered. It's like how I was seeing her too. She just like, <laughs> like that is like so many times the children do demonstrate what the internal should look like. <laughs> you can have it all, Lord. <laughs> she's at rest. Usually I try not to lead worship and preach on the same time, but just because of scheduling things, I just want to make clear for those who don't know, we do have a team of leaders <laughs> here, <laughs> and we do definitely share the load, but just because of some scheduling stuff, I'm on for both today. <laughs> huh? <laughs> um, so awesome. We've been talking about preparing for revival because we believe that there is a great harvest coming. We can feel it, sense it, see it. Um, is closer than we've ever felt before. And if you haven't been able to hear the messages, I just want to tell everyone we do have them online podcast. And you can go back and search whichever one you missed and take a listen if you're interested. It just really helps to track with where we're going as a, a community and what God's speaking. So if you're interested in that, um, you just go to our website, carmelcrossing.org. And it will have a link to go to the podcast and listen. We're getting our website redone right now. Woohoo. It's going to look so good. Um, very excited for that. So, in the past couple weeks, just to touch real quick, I'm not going to go into detail because you can go listen <laughs> on the podcast. Um, we talked about what revival looks like biblically. And Pastor Tom talked about Acts 2. Remember just the. That is That was revival. The spirit was poured out, and what happened afterwards? They started gathering together. They had the apostles teaching. They had fellowship in each other's homes daily. They were meeting together, discipling, preaching the gospel, and they grew by the thousands, and it just kept spreading. That was biblical revival that happened, and they were ready for it. So we talked about that, the establishment and the expansion of the church as the plan of God. So God has one plan. He's not, he's not made it very complicated for us, thankfully. He's made it very clear and very simple. He has a plan. And I always like to say it's world domination, <laughs> right? He's, he's out to get the world because he, he wants souls saved. And the way he does that is through his church. Right, So it's the establishment of the church, getting everyone grounded in their faith, and then the expansion of the church, which is preaching the gospel and inviting those new believers into community because we're made for family, right? So that's his plan. The establishment and expansion of the church is the plan of God, and then we learn to center our lives around his plan. Not our own plan, not our own good ideas. His plan must be central to our lives meaning everything we do, again, you got to go listen because it's in the messages and it talks very practically about what that looks like. We talked about the difference between volunteers and labor laborers. And that's why Pastor Tom kept correcting me when I kept saying volunteer, volunteer, because we're trying to break that mindset. If you don't know the difference, go online, listen to the message. A laborer has vision and faith that keeps going no matter what even through Hebrews 11 type trials, like we talked about last week, hard, hard stuff. And it's for the joy set before us. And then lastly, we've talked about having conviction on what you are to be doing 
with the Lord in this hour. We need to know what it, we each have a role. There's something that God has for us, and we need to be laboring with him. He's called us to co-labor with him. And I always thought it was funny that saying, I heard so many people say this. I don't know if you have, but it's hilarious. They say, the scripture that says God won't give you more than you can handle. And number one, that's not a scripture. And number two, that's just not true. <laughs> I don't know where that came up and who started saying it was a Bible verse. It's not. The Bible verse, I think there's maybe mixing it up with, is where it says he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's a lot different than God can't, won't give you more than you can handle. God will give you more than you can handle because it's not by our power or might. It's by his spirit, and he's teaching us to lean into him, that this is not about what I can do. I'm a pretty naturally high-capacity, high-energy person, and God has stretched me to my limits over and over and over again, and I don't think it will ever end until I get to heaven. It's just, he's, he's growing me. He's growing my capacity. So no matter what you, you feel your capacity level is at, he'll meet you where you are, and he's going to stretch you to show you this is not about you. This is about him, and that all things are possible in him and through him. So when he approaches you or says, hey, I want you to do this, and you go, I can't, like Moses, right? I can't. He kind of laughs and is like, what are you talking about? I didn't say you could. I said, I can in you. I'm going with you, right? I am. So if I'm asking you to do this, I will empower you to do it. I'm not expecting you to just have the strength to do it on your own. And um, so those were the things we've been talking about, just preparing ourselves, getting ready, having conviction, knowing what we're doing in this hour, laboring with God, partnering with him, and the other week, uh, I think two weeks ago, week and a half ago, I just really wanted to start reading a book, but I didn't want it to be like a teaching book. I want it to be a story, but I didn't want it to be just a novel. Like that's the inner workings of my mind. So I go to my uh, bookshelf, and this I've read this book three or four times, Reese Howell's Intercessor. It's his biography, so it is a story, but it's a real story. This book, is, if you have not read this book, you've got to read it. I'll lend it to you after I'm done. I, I, I can't get through a page without melting in the conviction and presence of God. But something really stood out. I believe the Lord had me start reading this for what we're talking about today. And I'm going to read one page from here. Um, Reese Howells was, uh, oh gosh, how to even explain, during the Welsh Revival, I don't even remember what year that is. I think late 1800s into the early 1900s, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that was the years. And he grew up in a Christian home, always thinking that he was saved and always having this bent toward being generous and giving. And But then realized at one point in his life when he was like 20 years old, I don't know God, and I'm not sure if I died I would go to heaven. This is long story short. He encounters the living God, has this transformational moment in his life that will strike your heart to the core and you might question if you're actually <laughs> saved. <laughs> no, uh, uh, but he, I mean, it, it really will impact you. And then the Lord begins to use him in incredible ways um, in his life. And one of those ways he got br brought back to his home country and the Welsh revival was happening. 
And I'm just going to read what he wrote about the revival. And, and we're going to hit on two key points here. He said, the revival proved what the Holy Ghost could do through a company of believers who were of one spirit and of one mind as on the day of Pentecost. The church had seen over and over again what the Lord could do through a yielded evangelist or pastor such as Moody or Finney. But in the Welsh revival, it was divine power manifested through the church. That struck me because I thought that's where we're headed. You know, we've seen many revivals that was one person anointed to bring some breakthrough. And he's saying in the Welsh revival, it was the entire church empowered by the Spirit uh, as a whole. And he said the key note was bend the church and save the world. I'm getting chills as I read this. The one aim was the saving of souls. The Savior said there's joy among the angels over one sinner that repents, and they could say there was joy in the church over the converts. The bells of heaven rang every time, and there was a shout of victory in the camp. So they were seeing many souls saved, much joy. Under the influence of the Spirit, there was an irresistible power. The feeblest ones were often clothed with a majesty that was indescribable, and their words were with unction. So the weakest among them are getting empowered by the Spirit, and they're speaking out with the unction of the Spirit. As they showed how the Savior was slain for our offenses and raised again for our justification, whole congregations were melted, and people were crying out in agony of soul, what must we do to be saved? Whew, that's, that's what happens when the power of God comes. This is a real, this really happened. Multitudes experienced the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse from all sin. And then listen to this. But the real problem arose as the revival proceeded, and thousands were added to the churches. There were more children born than there were nurses to tend them. He's speaking spiritual children and people to care and, and disciple the establishing of the converts became the greatest need, which if not met would be the most dangerous weakness of the revival. As enthusiasm abated, mean it grew weak, there were bound to be many who had depended more on feelings and not yet learned to have their faith solidly based on the word of God. The devil took advantage of this. Some became cold and indifferent, and the spiritual conflict began. And we're not going to have revival without some spiritual conflict, right? Harvest of souls, thousands of people getting saved. You think the devil is just going to say, oh, well, <laughs> looks like I lost. No. He said, the, like Reese Howells, those like Reese Howells, young in spirit though they were, but at least a bit more advanced, were needed to be intercessors and teachers and take the burden of the newborn babes and to pray and lead them on. And then another problem. But the new intercessors soon began to find how mighty the enemy of the soul is and that a conflict, and that a conflict not against flesh and blood but against the rulers of the darkness of this world cannot be fought with carnal weapons. They needed what they themselves had not yet received, the endowment of the Holy Ghost for service. Okay, two keys here. As Reese Howell said later, the intercession of the Holy Ghost for the saints in this present evil world must be made through believers filled with the Holy Ghost. 
So this man was saved already, and he was doing incredible things for God. And the revival hits, and he realizes, I'm not filled with the Holy Ghost, and I can't do this apart from him. Pretty amazing. It was this that brought him and others to feel their need of fullness. Nothing had been lacking in the joy and satisfaction which Reese had found in the Savior for his own personal life. But he did not know the secret of power for service. Many blamed the young converts for backsliding, he said, but we blamed ourselves because we were not in a position to pray them to victory. Oh, the tragedy to be helpless in front of the enemy when he is sifting young converts like wheat. Ugh, right? That just stuck me. Oh, my goodness. And then he goes on to say, we were in the same position as the disciples whom the Lord told to tarry until they were endued with power. The record goes on to say that they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They had joy before they had the power. So joy was no proof of the endowment of the spirit. We had the same joy in the revival, in the knowledge of the risen Christ, but at the same time we felt the lack of power for service. Whew. So that hit me big time. Two things. I know sometimes it can be hard to hear someone else read a chunk of passage from a book, but two things that stood out to me that we're going to talk about this week and next week. Number one, he said the greatest weakness of the revival was not having people to establish believers. They didn't know how to. They didn't know what to do with them. Thousands were being added to the churches, and there were not enough prepared to disciple and ground them in their faith, so much so that these believers, it's like the Mark 4 passage about the seeds, they shoot up quickly and then the enemy comes and he steals the fruit because they weren't grounded. They weren't grounded in truth. They weren't grounded in the word of God. And I know that many of us who are, have been in church a long time or in the church um, in many different types of churches, it's almost like you go swing to this side of the pendulum and there's a bunch of church communities that focus only on the word of God and establishing people in their faith. And you swing the pendulum this way and there's a company of people that focus only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need them both, <laughs> desperately, desperately. And that's exactly what he got. Late 1800s, early 1900s in revival, saying we need to know how to establish believers in the faith, how grievous it was that thousands were getting saved and they watched the enemy sift them like wheat. That, that breaks my heart to think about people coming in and getting saved and then just leaving with no stability, with no grounding in God. They missed the whole point. And then he goes on to say the next point of weakness in the revival was the endowment with power from on high, meaning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some companies of believers say that that doesn't even happen anymore today. You get saved, you have the Spirit of God. We don't, we're not in that company, okay? They're, we're, they're still our brothers and sisters, absolutely. They're part of the church, but we are part of a company of believers that believe that the scripture shows that you could be saved and then baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it empowers you 
to live an entirely different level of Christianity. Um, and, and that's exactly what Reese Howells experienced. He was a new believer, and he had no idea th those camps existed. I, I'm not even sure they did back then. And he's saying, I need, to I need to have the power of the Holy Ghost. Look at the disciples, the original disciples, the apostles. They needed the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, I need it too. I need it too. And they got baptized in the Spirit. And that's an incredible story. And to see how then what happens after. Anyone can borrow the book after I'm done reading it, as long as you give it back. So we're going to focus on these two things because I really believe the Lord had me pick this book and then showed me those two things to say, you need to focus on these things as a community because revival is coming, right? And we need to be ready. We're, we're you know, a, a community of, if we're all here, 40 people. Well, when thousands are added to our number, guys, 40, we're each going to have to be discipling, a, you know, like 100 people. <laughs> and quickly multiplying ourselves so then the, those we're multiplying are then discipling, right? That's the goal. So it's not just all on each one of us, but that we know exactly what to do to establish people in their faith so that they can also then establish other new believers in their faith. Amen? So today we're going to talk about, because it was the first thing he brought up, what does biblical establishing look like? When we're talking about establishing someone in their faith, we might all have different ideas. I actually could probably guarantee we all have different ideas, or we would say, I have no idea, <laughs> what that means or looks like. And it's important for us as a community be, to be one-minded, one-hearted. The forms can look different, but in principle, we need to be one-hearted and one-minded about what establishing someone in their faith looks like. And we talk about a lot from Ephesians 4, those five-fold gifts are for the establishment of the church, right? They are establishing gifts. They establish the greater company of believers in the faith, bringing the church to maturity. The 12 apostles and Paul were all establishing, right? They had that gift. That, that, they were the first ones sent by God. They had walked with Jesus, minus Paul, walked with Jesus, and then were sent out after Jesus left to start the church and establish the church. And one of the primary people we see in the scripture doing that is Paul. So he's going to be our example for now on establishing because the Lord gave him a call and we all know, or hopefully we all know by now, in Ephesians 3, the call of God on Paul to preach to the Gentiles and to lay out the household order to establish the church in the faith. And that's why his letters focus on it. Okay? Uh, we might read his have read his letters in a bunch of different lenses. What Paul was doing was establishing the church he was preaching the gospel, and he was establishing the church because he knew he only had a certain span of time, and the Lord had called him to do it. So he gave every ounce of energy and time, every minute spent toward the establishing of the church. That was what Jesus had commissioned them to do, right? The great, the great uh, commission, that's what it's called. I was going to say the great commandment, my mind. Great Commission. 
Go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I commanded you. Right? That's a, that's a big part, teaching them all that I commanded you. Well, the disciples knew what that meant. They had been taught by Jesus. And then we see them in Acts, and then through Paul's letters, laying out what Jesus taught them in the church. Very clear. And that's how the church was born and established. When we're saying established in the faith, I do want to just make this clear also. I'm not talking about faith like Hebrews 11 faith that we talked about last week. W the word the faith, whenever I say established in the faith, or we say the deposit, the tradition, sound doctrine, those words are all used in the New Testament, and they're all the same Greek word. I don't know why they make it so complicated by having all the different English words translated. But if you, s if you see Paul saying, be strong in the faith, he's saying be strong in sound doctrine, not in believing that God can do great and mighty things, though we also are to have strong faith. That's not what he's communicating. He's saying be strong in sound Doctrine, knowing what you believe and why you believe it. In First Thessalonians, well, so he was going there and he was establishing in the household order traditions, patterns, and sound doctrines. Those are all the same thing. And so I'm going to talk on this for a second. Traditions. This is what we're going to be establishing people in. And when I say tradition, you know I don't mean man-made tradition. <laughs> We're not about man-made tradition here. We're talking about sound doctrine. That word, the traditions, sound doctrine. That's the word in Greek. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul says to the Thessalonian church, hold firmly to the traditions that I handed down to you. He's not talking man-made traditions. He's talking about the teaching of Christ that he received the revelation he got f direct from Holy Spirit. Hold tightly to that which I'm passing on to you. And he was so intent on this. You start reading the New Testament letters and see how many times he says, hold firmly, stand, fa stand uh, firmly in the faith, in the deposit, pass on the deposit to faithful men who will pass on the deposit to faithful men who will entrust it to other faithful men, right? He was urgently saying, this is of extreme importance because I'm going to pass away soon and not be able to do this anymore, and you need to continue it forward, right? That seems extremely important. He had the direct revelation from God and now he's trying to rapidly teach others to stand firmly in it. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, that's what he was saying. Hold firmly to the traditions. Well, some of the, I just want to break that down, the, what that is. Um, a tradition, long-established way of thinking and teaching, uh, thinking and acting. And for specifically what Paul was talking about, a body of teachings held to have been delivered by Christ and his apostles. There is a body of teaching 
that is called the tradition, the pattern, sound doctrine, that is to be passed down, and it's clear. We don't have to guess what that body of teaching is. Good news. I never knew what this body of teaching was. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't know that it was important to pass it down my entire Christian life until about eight years ago. And then I started to see this and be taught this and see it in scripture, and my mind was blown. Oh, my goodness, there's actually a specific order and teaching that is meant to be passed down in the church and it started with the revelation that Paul received. And we have it today through scripture. Thank God. You know, we're not just going by word of mouth. It's actually right here. And we can see it, study it, apply it. Patterns. He talked about, Paul talked about patterns. Hold to the patterns. It's a distinctive style or model of form. Anything fashioned or designed to serve as a model or guide for something to be made. This is extremely important. I know it, it, it might sound very like, well, you're not getting very specific because I'll tell you why at the end. There was a body of teachings that Paul had that was to be a pattern for the church of all time. There was a body of teaching that Paul gave by the Holy Spirit that was meant to be a pattern or a model for the church for all time. So I am of the conviction today as I stand here that there is a way that church is meant to function, the family of God, and it's not, hey, you choose what works for you and do this model and that model and this model that people have come up with. And I'm not saying any of those models are bad at all. There have been a lot of models created by modern people in the past 50 years that have gotten a lot of people saved, and God uses it. What I am saying is that there is a model that God gave. <laughs> I want that model. And that model was used by the New Testament church, and then it was used for 500 years after the New Testament church, and the church only grew. Okay, so results. <laughs> God's plan works. God's model works. 500 years into it, I don't know if you ever heard of the man named Ignatius, he went a little off, and he was sincerely trying to understand. He went a little off, and we get a bunch of other models from him onward. And the church split and split and split and split and split until all these denominations, we, we arrive at the Roman Catholic Church in 1500. <laughs> That's where that went to. And then from there, you know how that went with Martin Luther, the 500 Theses, and then goes on. There was a model from the beginning that was intended to be used for all churches, for all time, and it's God's model, and therefore it works. <laughs> Always. He had a specific, arc, I mean, just look at the earth. Nothing is random here. There's nothing that he's done that hasn't had specific detail and intricacies. Why would we think that he would be like, oh yeah, church, whatever. My family, do it however you want. <laughs> That's silly. That's not even like God. That's not like him in any way, shape, or form. 
And then lastly, the Didache, sound doctrine, the teaching the faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through four passages of scripture. Now, there's way, way more, but I thought four was probably going to be overwhelming enough <laughs> to just read. But I just want to show you, again, today is to show that there is a body of teaching passed down by Paul that was meant to be for the establishing of the church and new believers and that it's accessible to all. And this is the model that God has for his church that he gave. And in this community, we are following that model. So in 1 Timothy 1.10, uh, 1, I think 8 through 11, you can write these down and look at them yourself, but 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. This is Paul writing to Timothy. These are all his last letters, so he's getting ready to be finished. Listen to the urgency and what he's talking about in his last letters. It's important to pay attention to. He says, now we know without any doubt that the law is good if one uses it lawfully and appropriately. Understand the fact that law is not enacted for the righteous person, but for lawless and rebellious people, for the ungodly and sinful, for the irreverent and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral persons, for homosexuals, for kidnappers and slave traders, for liars, for perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Okay, that was an intense list of things. And in the end, he says, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. How important is sound, sound doctrine? Extremely. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So he's, there are actions and sins in that list that are contrary to sound doctrine. There are things in life, in the world around us, that are contrary to sound doctrine. We have to know what sound doctrine is. We have to be sound in our doctrine and our understanding to recognize when something is off. You're not going to recognize if something's off if you're not sound in your mind or knowing what the scripture teaches. And Paul specifically says these are unbelievers if they live contrary to sound doctrine. Hey, that's intense. I know a lot of believers who live contrary to sound doctrine. He's saying here, these are all unbelievers who live contrary to sound doctrine. I'll let you chew on that. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Again, he's writing Timothy again. Paul is writing Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready when the time is right and even when it's not. Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, convenient or inconvenient, whether welcomed or unwelcomed. Correct those who err in doctrine or behavior, which we know those things are together, right? 
warn those who sin, exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. And verse 3, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instructions that challenge them with God's truth. That's the age we're living in, right? People don't want sound doctrine, even in the church. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold and will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. Sin, sinful lifestyle, anything contrary to sound doctrine is sin and sinful lifestyle. It's against what God has laid out for us through his apostles in Scripture. He says, but as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm and cool and steady. Endure every hardship without flinching. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. So Paul is preparing Timothy. Timothy was one of his main people. He's saying, get ready because you're coming into a time where people are not going to want to hear sound doctrine. Hey, it was happening back then. It's happening now. That same exhortation could be used toward us. It says, get ready. Get ready. Know what you believe. Make sure you're grounded in truth because there will be people who will not want to hear sound doctrine. All they'll want to hear is things that make them feel agreeable, that make their errors seem right. Ouch, that's what's happening. We have entire... Uh, denominations of Christianity that have now agreed with sin and said it's scripture. That's the day we're living in. Entire denominations of people who call themselves Bible-believing Christians and have changed their entire denomination to agree with sin and say it's scriptural. They're not enduring sound doctrine. I mean, that happens little at a time. It's not like, oh, one day, all of a sudden, we just don't want to agree. No, it happens little by little by little by little until we are inoculated to the truth. We don't recognize it, and we've become desensitized, and we think what is evil is good, and what is good is evil. That's what's happening in our culture today. We have so many that are calling evil good and good evil because of the desensitizing that's been happening. And Paul, that was happening in his day, and he was preparing his people for that, his leaders. Titus 1.9, Titus was another laborer with Paul that he was instructing and discipling, establishing. He said he must hold firm, he's talking about elders, uh, and, and appointing elders in the church. He said he must hold firmly to the trustworthy word of God as it was taught to him so that he will both be able to give accurate instruction in sound doctrine, which means error-free, and to refute those who contradict it. 
by explaining their error. Very important role in the church for the elders, and it's for all of us, but the elders specifically need to already be grounded in sound doctrine, so much so that if there was something or someone that said, well, I believe this is okay, and I believe that that is good, that they would say, and it was error, that they would say, let me show you in the scripture. Let's look at the scripture together. And they would be able to clearly communicate and show where the error was and why. I mean, that, that's, that's an important task. And the last scripture here is Titus 2.1. Again, Paul talking to Titus. He says, but as for you, teach the things which are in agreement with sound doctrine, which produces men and women of good character, whose lifestyle identifies them as true Christians. Well, what we say here all the time, sound doctrine. Doctrine is not sound unless it is lived. You can tell me all day long you have sound doctrine. If your life is not transformed by what you believe, then I, I'm sorry, it holds no weight to me. Zero. If you actually believe what Scripture says, your life will be transformed. Everything will start to change. <laughs> you will have to reorder the way you think, reorder the way you live around truth. Then someone whose life is demonstrating it and says, yes, I have sound doctrine, I say, I can see it in your life. I can see it in your marriage. I can see it in your household. I can see it in how you minister, in your character. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is a way of living by what you believe and what the scripture says. These are just a few verses out of many to show that the establishment of believers in sound doctrine and teaching was the utmost importance to Paul. And these were all, like I said, these are all in his later letters, so he's really hustling. <laughs> I got to get you ready. This is the most important thing. I'm about to leave. I'm about to be done, and I need to make sure I have faithful people in place who understand what I understood and what was passed down to me by the Holy Spirit through revelations. There is a set of teachings to be passed down. It's not random. It's not pick what you think is important and study it. The scripture lays it out clearly. And you're like, well, when will you get to it? Are you going to tell us? <laughs> I think that happens in our groups all the time. Are you going to tell us what these things are? No, I'm not going to tell you today. Oh, boo. <laughs> uh, what I am telling you today was hopefully to show you and hopefully you saw how important it is. Just like Reese Howell said, it wasn't, oh, we're just going to take this man's word for it. The scripture shows that this was extremely important and it was all throughout the New Testament to establish them in their faith in a set of teachings that Paul laid out that was meant to be understood by all believers. Does everyone understand it, get it? Okay. He knew, Paul knew that as we know today, if a believer isn't grounded, there's a lot of room for error. Right? And that's why when harvest comes in, we have new believers come in. If they're not grounded in truth and in these set of teachings, 
Of course they're going to fall into error. How will they know? How will they know what's true, what's not true? How will they know what's biblical, what's not biblical? They won't, and they'll be easily snatched by the enemy. And that's what I was describing for the, <laughs> I mean, this went on, they had sound doctrine for the first 500 years after the New Testament church, and then after that, it, it went and splintered. And you can see, if you look at church history, you can see it very clearly, where it did, how it did, when it did, and it was in what they were teaching and what they focused on. With Ignatius, it was about leadership in the early church. He thought that the, the leaders needed to have authority, and that's how the whole Catholic church structure, the Roman Catholic church leadership structure stemmed from Ignatius because he was trying to preserve what was passed down, but he was slightly off. And then that slightly off goes into no one can hear God except the Pope. <laughs> that is not what Scripture says, right? But look at how little, how little of a shroom goes way off. We want to get back to what this says and what it means to establish believers in the faith. So the question today is, are you established? You might be like, I have no idea. I don't even know what established. Like, you just confused me <laughs> to the core. I don't know if I'm established. Now that I know there's a set of teachings and I don't know what they are, no, probably not. <laughs> probably not, right? Are you established? Are you confident in your understanding of the household order? Are you confident in sound doctrine that was passed down, apostolic teaching? You're all like, whoa, these are all confusing. Would we all have the same answers or different ones? That I would be really interested to hear <laughs> with some of these questions. Because we want to be like-minded. If, if, if there's only one set of teachings, then there's really only one answer to those questions. And if we all have different answers, that just shows that we're definitely not on the same page <laughs> and we need to be pulled in. If you can't explain it to another believer, we definitely wouldn't be living it out, out if we can't. Oh, if we can't explain it to one another as believers, if you say, okay, what does it mean to be grounded in your faith? Uh, I don't know. Read my Bible, pray every day. Okay, if you can't explain it to me as a believer in more words than that, there's no way you're living it out because you don't understand it, and there's no way you're going to be able to teach an unbeliever how to walk in it, okay? And that's not, that's not to be a downer. That's just to say we got to get ready, right? We all start at different places here. If someone asked me these questions eight years ago, I would have been like, yeah, I know, and then given every wrong answer there was. Because I had grew up in the church, I thought I knew. No, I didn't. Uh, turns out I had no clue. <laughs> your life will evidently look different if you're established in the faith. It's not head knowledge. Your family will see it. The church family will see it. And there will be a reordering of your life around God's plan. It will be like, whoa, that person's really being transformed. Look how they're changing. They're really understanding what this is saying. Look at how their life is changing. 
I want to boast on Michael for a second because that's literally how I've seen him in the past year. Like literally, he, I'm like, he's getting it because his entire life is changing and it's evident. He doesn't have to verbalize it. It's clear. Anyone could look at him and say, whoa, uh, whoa. like this guy's, he's walking in sound faith and growing in that. That's what we're talking about, that others could look and say, well, absolutely, that person is. That's what we want. And I'm going to segue here because now you're all maybe really hungry, hopefully, to be grounded in your faith. <laughs> and you say, oh, I got to know, I, I don't want to be unprepared, and I have no idea, and I'm going to invite Kale and Bobby Roberts up. We have groups that are starting up <laughs> the plug we have groups, come on up, guys. We have groups that are starting up in September, and they're called Sound Doctrine Groups. Hey, guys, look, look. We need it, and then we have it. You need it, we have it. And Kale and Bobby have been going through them very faithfully. They just, there's three series to them where we walk through all of Paul's teachings to understand what he was grounding the church in. And it's group discussion led by our leadership team. They've just finished the second series and they're going on to the third to finish up. And I just wanted you guys to hear from them some. We're gonna have people just sharing for the next few weeks because this is so important. Whether you've been in the group before, you took a break, whatever, you gotta, we gotta be prepared. There is a harvest coming. And each of us need to be ready to disciple, to engage, to know what we're talking about. Yeah. Amen. I first want to start out saying when I was saved at 16, I had no doctrine whatsoever, and I went for 20-something years, going bounced around from many different denominations and learning a bit from each one. But when we came here about almost two years ago in December, uh, we jumped into sound doctrine, and I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I felt that I understood the gospel. I felt that I understood living out the gospel. But going through the sound doctrine, uh, the first session and then the second session goes, has taught me that we are grant we are. There's more to life than myself. Um, there is a family. Um, as my wife and I, we, we are a family, and then then there's the family of families and that's this church. Then there's the family of family of families. That's the, that's the global church, and that's what the doctrine has taught me is that you know, it, it's, there's a family and that, that needs the empowerment of Christ, and if we are not walking it out faithfully, and it's giving me confidence in my answers. Um, I, and a lot of times I know it in my mind, but I have a hard time explaining it. Um, these, these courses help, help you understand and break it down, um, and explain what the gospel is, uh, what Paul was trying to get across, um, building build relationships, building a community, building build bonds, building, you know, then, also then we have the understanding of what our, your role is as, as a husband, a wife. Um, then we get into the apostle roles, we get to the, the evangelistical roles, we get to the, those roles, and they help. And also coming up to these, build a community here. And it's hilarious because, like Wesley said, <laughs> we'll all come with different answers. 
<laughs> and it's not embarrassing. Like I was, I thought it'd be embarrassing at first, and um, it's correction and love. Um, there's some sentence questions and sentences that are. It was like what I couldn't wrap my head around it, but the leader puts it in English for you. But um, it's really helped me grow grow a lot and it's it's really you know sometimes it can get intense and you're all weeping together or you're all laughing together and in we were in w uh, the first time we were with one group and then in the second series we were with a different group so you're meeting new people you know it's like a little change up and uh yeah it's uh it blew my mind it, and it, it it's it's not easy <laughs> wasn't for me it because I I made up my own rules in Christianity I read the Bible my way oh that's my interpretation and mm -mm, it 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 reels you in in love but it, it's hard like you you do have to break off some like like you said that phrase God won't give you a lot of that will come up that you don't realize you have like like phrases like that, that it's not biblical, but we picked it up somewhere. So I was able to shake off, yeah, like, oh, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and you're able to laugh at yourself, you know, because you're with people that love you and, you know. One, another part I struggled with was the wife's role. God give me strength in that series because <laughs> I'm I learned I was a little more dominant than I should be so <laughs> it was it it's fun it's fun and no one's judging you and <laughs> apologize to Kale a couple times and uh it, it's fun guys and getting I like to mixing up the groups too you know getting to know like on the next session and I think we all come together too, like at the end of each one, but getting to know your family and your community. Yeah, and I learned to laugh at myself a lot. <laughs> I just want to add one more thing is what she said is, yeah, we get together, we laugh a lot. We, it's, it is building a community as we grow in these together. And, you know, it's a lifelong tool. Yeah. Um, like I said, I had to break off so many different mentalities that we develop, and and it's natural. We we were in, we're products of our environments, you know, and we've all had environments and backgrounds, and you just uh, you just adopt these things. But if we can f get to the biblical truth behind what Paul, what the Bible was saying, what Jesus wants for us as as individuals and as a whole, we will have that revival that we will hunger for. So good. Thank you, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's the plug. Sign up. We will be having new groups, a new group starting. Um, we meet on Wednesdays typically, and we'll give more information out um, as we get closer to that. But it is important that we, we meet together, we ask questions. And sometimes that makes people hyperventilate even thinking about it. Wait, you're going to ask me why I believe the answer I just gave? Right? That's what Bobby was saying. I mean, one of my favorite first discussions was about what is the church. We went into what is the church, and that was hilarious. 
because there were so many different responses to what is the church. And then as questions keep being asked, you get down to the core and then back to scripture. And the the light bulb goes on. Whoa, okay. That's great to know that, hey, when me and the Roberts are hanging out, no, we're not a church. That's not how it works. Hey, you have a group in your home on the weekends or throughout the week. That's not a church necessarily. They're very specific. And if that piques your interest, come to group. (laughs) You'll have discussion. You'll dive into scripture. So I just, I wanted to share that too, just because, again, we want to prepare people. We want people to be prepared. And it takes more than a Sunday morning service to do so. (laughs) To dive into all of Paul's teachings takes way more than a a 40-minute message, a 30 to 40-minute message. You can't do it. You've got to dive in to the scripture, and it's so important that we each vocalize and open our own mouths because like Bobby was saying too, or Kale, I believe, said before, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really verbalize it, but then afterwards I can. Well, that's because you're forced to do it in the group. In a smaller setting where it's like, if you're quiet, I'm going to say, Kale, what do you think? Well, uh, you can't be quiet. Well, I don't really know. Well, give me more than that. Well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? The leader's going to ask you questions. We're not there to tell you the answers. We're there to ask you and guide to the scripture. Amen? So sign up for a group. If you're interested, you could talk to uh, Stu or Christy here or myself or Tom or actually probably anyone in the church and they'll direct you into how to get plugged into a group. We're going to start those second week of September, I believe, is the date. Um, And you'll be hearing about them coming up soon. And then we're going to be talking next week about the endowment with power from on high, which is what we especially love here. (laughs) I love sound doctrine groups, don't get me wrong, but the endowment with power from the Holy Ghost, that's exciting. So, Father, we just thank you so much that you are preparing us You're preparing us for revival. You're preparing us for harvest. You're getting us ready, God. You're so faithful. You're faithful to us to get us ready for all that you have in store. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that you care that we're ready, that you care that we understand and that we're each grounded. And I pray that you would do that in our community in greater measure in this season and that it would deepen our love and relationship with one another like never before. We love you so much and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, God bless you, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. (laughs) 